0: Being a victim is one thing, but learning that you aren't the only one can be a different thing altogether. In this case, one victim managed to escape only to learn just how lucky she was to escape with her life at all. My name is Brianne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a show where we explore true crime cases that occur out in nature. This is part two of the episodes covering murderer David L. Wood, also known as the Desert Killer. If you haven't heard part one, you know the drill. Go check it out and come back. Where we last left off, police made a shocking discovery. Not only was a woman abducted and raped in their area, but... There were six bodies buried in shallow graves at the location. This wasn't just the site of a rape. It was a dumping ground for bodies. Bodies of women in their teens and early 20s. El Paso didn't just have a local rapist. It had a serial killer prowling the streets and abducting young women. And... This is where a lot of things got messy. Police knew that there was a serial sexual predator and murderer loose, but they still didn't know how to identify him just yet. I'm assuming that the assault victim couldn't lead them back to the apartment, but as they began to identify the bodies, new information came to light. While finding identities for the women police began looking for runaways and other people who might be at a higher risk of being abducted. Their search led them to two young teens in particular that they were able to identify. 15-year-old Desiree Wheatley and 14-year-old Don Smith. While the other victims seemed somewhat random, these two weren't. These two runaways were locals in the area who attended the same middle school. This was a major breakthrough for police who immediately began asking around and interviewing people in the area. They questioned the peers of these two girls and learned about a man with tattoos, a motorcycle, and a truck. He perfectly matched the description of the final moments of the other victims, and this led them to be able to identify him as David Leonard Wood. Police immediately sought him out and began looking for evidence, but it wasn't all that simple. Kind of. They got wood easily for the assault on the woman who helped lead police to him, and she was able to identify him. But they still needed to prove that he was a murderer, not just a rapist. The defense would obviously say that he had nothing to do with the bodies in the ground and that meant there was a chance that he might get away with it even though anyone would assume that he took her there with the intent to kill her like the others but cases aren't won with assumptions they needed to prove that he was responsible for killing the girls and young women in these graves and to do that they needed evidence but it wasn't all that hard to show that he was an obvious consideration for these crimes when they looked into it. Wood had just been paroled in January from prison. Why? Because he just finished serving seven years for the assault of two teenage girls. And maybe Wood knew that they were closing in because he tried to get rid of some evidence by cleaning his car. He had some time to do that, but not time to hide the hundreds of pictures of teen girls that he had in his home. And I guess he wasn't all that smart about his cleaning process either. He used his own tools to clean the car, including a vacuum that he left behind in an old apartment. Lucky for police, and unfortunately for him... Police were actually able to obtain the vacuum, and they found fibers in it that matched the clothing fibers found on one of the victims. He cleaned up his car, but left his vacuum dirty. And I have to say that I don't think you get criminal bragging rights when your big downfall is a vacuum, right? It took Three full years, but Wood was finally charged with the six murders as well as the assault. But that wasn't the end of the story. In a controversial reveal, Wood was betrayed by his cellmate while he was in prison. The man told police that Wood bragged about the crimes, telling him that they were all prostitutes and adult performers. He revealed his methods, which generally included bribing them with drugs, and then an exact repeat of what he did to his rape victim. Of course, for the other women, after he was done assaulting them, he would kill them. Or, at least he would try. Police found sand in one of the victim's mouths, ultimately showing that she was likely buried alive. In the end, they did charge Wood, and he was found guilty, but things were still a little complicated. When it came to sentencing, there was a pretty serious debate. Obviously, Wood was trying to deny that he did any of it, but no one believed that. His history and his one living victim showed that he was very likely to have committed the crimes, but... How do you handle punishing someone who does something this terrible? The families of the victims and the general public all wanted to see this man suffer for his crimes, and they were hoping to see him pay the ultimate price for it. Admittedly, I don't know much about Texas, but I do know that if there is one state that you really don't want to be charged in for a serious crime, it's Texas. People wanted the death penalty for him, and to ensure that he would never be free again. To make this happen, the courts tried to demonstrate just how dangerous he really was. Fortunately, he made that pretty easy for them. Showing that he was in danger was possible given his recent criminal history and collection of teen girl photos showing that he obviously hadn't changed. But... When you add in the rape and murder charges, it really only made him look that much worse. Anyone could tell that there was something wrong with this guy, and the fact that he only made it in the civilian world for a few months before he started raping and killing all kinds of women did not make him look any better. But the courts wanted to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was as terrible as a person could be. So, they found more people, There wasn't just one living victim. There were quite a few. They invited more victims to speak in court, including a sex worker that he attempted to rape and then said he was going to kill with a knife. This woman threw herself from a moving vehicle to escape, likely saving her own life. Then, there were two women who came in and said that he raped them in their early teens, and another woman who was raped in her early 20s. Ultimately, he was convicted and sentenced to death, a fact which a lot of people were really happy about. But there was a halt on some of his sentencing a little later on. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that he was dangerous, and a psychiatrist came out with an evaluation to prove it. But his defense team wanted to leverage his mental health for him, claiming that he wasn't right in the mind and couldn't be killed for his crimes. This did slow things down, but as of today, he is still sitting on death row right where he belongs. Fortunately, it would appear that he is going to die in prison and is no longer considered to be a risk to the public for this reason. To this day, police believe that there are likely more victims that he attacked throughout the years, both in 1987 and possibly even before he went to prison the first time. We really don't know how many women he raped or killed, but We do know that he should not be able to do it ever again, and I feel like that's pretty much all we can ask for at this point. His murder victims were Dawn Smith, Rosa Cassio, Angelica Frausto, Karen Baker, Desiree Wheatley, and Ivy Williams. Many other victims have gone unnamed. So, if you want to discuss the dangers of being a young woman the risks posed by unapologetic criminals, or what it feels like to close out the first year of your first podcast, contact me on Twitter or Instagram using the tag at datpod. Thanks, guys.